Christians worldwide are being persecuted for following after Jesus. Today on His People, Todd Nettleton has an insightful look at the strongest places of opposition and a primary focus on Nigeria, Africa, and elections that are about to take place. Is Nigeria functional as a country of one country, which is split about 50-50 between Christians and Muslims, but most of the Christians are in the south, most of the Muslims are in the north, There are people who want to split the country. So these elections, as we approach February 25th, I certainly hope our our listeners will be praying for Nigeria because it is really a pivotal time there for the country and for this election process. Patrick Herman talks with Todd Nettleton next. Persecution of Christians is expected to ramp up and intensify this year in India, China, and in Africa for more countries have been added to the list of the world's most dangerous places to follow Christ. I'm joined today on Pilgrim Radio's His People by Todd Nettleton with the watch group ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. Todd, welcome to His People. Thanks so much. It's good to be with you. Now, before we hear the stats and and what you're learning about the potential threats of practicing Christians around the world, can you help us just understand how you go about learning that there is persecution and how it is how you know it's ramping up in these locations? What are you gauging that by? Well, one of the great things about Voice of the Martyrs is we've been doing this for more than 50 years. And so in that time, we've been able to develop contacts on the ground in the countries where Christians are persecuted. And so we are in contact with church leaders. We're in contact uh, with pastors and church planters and So when, you know, a church is burned down, when an evangelist is beaten, uh, we hear about that. And thankfully, we're able to oftentimes help, uh, maybe send that evangelist to the hospital to get fixed up. And uh, so that is really a a fruit of more than 50 years of, of hard work, building those contacts, building those networks on the ground in more than 70 countries. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about Nigeria, I think, primarily today. But I want to chat with you first about China, India, those two countries. Give us kind of a perspective of what's happening right now or or heading into 2023. Well, you know, China is a country where the Communist Party is in control. Xi Jinping has just given himself a lifetime contract uh, to, uh, to lead the nation of China. And they want you as a Chinese citizen to wake up every morning and think, how can I be a good communist today? How can I serve the party today? As followers of Jesus Christ, we hopefully wake up every morning and think, how can I serve Jesus today? Well, they see that as a conflict. (laughs) They see that as a direct threat to the power of the Communist Party. And so as the church grows, the Chinese Communist Party gets more and more nervous, and they are doing everything they can to stop the church from growing. Uh, to the point of of monitoring people, the, the facial recognition technology mm. that they have in China is mind-blowing. Uh, and they know when you're going someplace. They know if you're gathering together with other folks. And so the church is really under a huge amount of pressure in that country. And uh, they're, they're not backing down. The church is not backing down. The Communist Party is not backing down either. So we anticipate more persecution, unfortunately, in China this year. Well, it's interesting that you're bringing up the the face recognition because their main thing is they feel like they have a lack of control over Christians, right? And yet this is this is maybe one way that they're stepping that up. They are stepping that up. And I'll tell you, I talked to a Chinese pastor a couple of years ago, and I'll, I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, I tell the men, especially the men in my church, the government may even be watching you in your home. Make sure they see what it looks like to follow Christ. Make sure they wow. see what it looks like to be a good example and a godly man and a godly husband and a godly father. 
if they're going to watch, let's make sure they're seeing the gospel in action in our homes. So the the church really has that attitude of, sure, the government's going to do what they're going to do. We're called to follow Christ, and we're not called to follow Christ unless the government doesn't want us to. We're still called to follow Christ. We just have to figure out how to do that in the midst of all this government pressure. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of North Korea because it seems like, you know, here's one man that is basically shutting it all down from the rest of the world. But I know, given 20 years, 30 years down the line, we're going to hear about how God is working even in that dark place. And I think that's similar to China. But with China, it seems like there's still cracks, open doors. There's still ways to to get in. There are some cracks, and it, it is challenging, and it's become much more challenging. You know, they shut the entire country down for COVID, um, so even getting in and out, doing anything that would cross that border was very, very challenging. Thankfully, they've started to lift some of those restrictions, and so there are cracks, and we do get to hear what God is doing, some of what God is doing inside China, and the church there is still alive and well, uh, in spite of what Xi Jinping might might want you to believe. Yeah, I want to talk about that hope because the church is alive and well. I read that there's a hundred, as many, maybe potentially as many as a hundred million Christians in China. And scholars say that, you know, there actually could be more Christians in that one country than in all of the rest of the world by the year 2030 is what they're estimating. Yeah, I heard a government document that cited the number 120 million several years ago. And like I say, that was not a, a an evangelistic uh, estimate. That was what the government said. And there are far more. We, we do know there are far more Christians in China than Communist Party members. Um, so again, if, if you're the Communist Party and you just look at the math, you think we're in danger here. There's more church members than there are party members. What are we going to do about that? That is why you see the persecution, and that's why you see it really ramping up. I would imagine those people under persecution are not lukewarm Christians. They mean it. (laughs) They absolutely mean it. One of my personal heroes is a pastor named Wang Yi. He is right now in prison. He is serving a nine-year prison sentence in China. Uh, But before he was arrested, he wrote a letter and he said, you know, I'm probably going to get arrested. So when I do, I want you to release this letter. Well, the, the letter said, I'm willing to go to prison. Mm-hmm. He said, I love the Lord. We're serving the Lord. He said, we love our country. We're not anti-China. We, we actually love our country. But our first priority is serving Jesus Christ. And if that means we have to go to prison, then we will do that. And like I say, right now, he is doing that. He is in prison right at this moment. Well, let's talk a little bit. Now, you're the expert on this, and you can tell me where the hot spots are in the world. But I know it's China and India, I think is what at least I've been told. In India, it's 2.9% Christian, so a very small faction are believers. But things are intensifying there, too. What's happening in India? Things are very much intensifying, and uh, that really falls at the feet of the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Modi, and his party, the BJP, which is the Hindu Nationalist Party. And and they have said in some of their documents and even some of their leaders have said in speeches, India is a Hindu nation. Everyone in India should be a Hindu. And if you're not a Hindu, you really don't belong here. You Mm. should go find someplace else to live or you should become a Hindu. And so that is the the policy really of the national government is that Hindu nationalist and for Christians, they say, wait a minute, we are Indian. We do live here and we're, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. They have faced increasing pressure, increasing persecution. And at the village level, often 
literally physical violence against pastors, against church leaders. And we have heard from our contacts in India that literally they will go village to village and they'll hand out cards with a phone number on it and say, if you see any missionary activity, if you see any Christian activity, you call this number, we'll take care of it. That's the kind of network, that's the kind of watch that they are putting in place to keep Christian activity from happening, to keep the church from growing. Uh, but again, the church is growing. There are people, and what often happens in that Hindu nation, if you think about a Hindu, they have millions of gods. And if something is going wrong in your life, you need to figure out which one of those millions of gods you've offended. And then you need to figure out, okay, what does that particular God want me to do to get back on his good side? And if I do that, will I get on the bad side of some other God? And then maybe my situation will be worse. And so there's this constant wondering about, okay, how do I deal with this situation? Or who have I offended? Or what do I do to make it right? So what often happens in that situation is, is God will come in and show his power I'm more powerful than all those millions of gods that you've been following. Oh, well, if you're more powerful, then I want to follow you. <laughs> and so you will see a Christian, say an evangelist, come in and pray for someone who is healed, and they will follow Jesus because Jesus is more powerful. He healed me. And so when you have this persecution and you're like, we don't want any missionary activity, but the guy says, well, I was sick and now I'm well. That never happened with Hinduism, so I'm going to follow Jesus. And so there's that dedication and that perseverance that comes with, I have seen Jesus. I've seen his power. Nothing you can say is going to talk me out of that. Uh, so I'm going to follow him no matter what. Yeah, and you guys get to hear a lot of the stories with Voice of the Martyrs. What is going on? Kind of give us the pulse of of what you said. Fifty years of being, you know, this kind of watch group, or at least having a pulse of what's happening in the world. Have you seen the hot spots moving, or are they kind of just increasing and smoldering in, in the same spots for fifty years? You know, there are some countries that have been on our list for fifty years, <laughs> and I think of China. You know, communist China has always persecuted now. It has increased persecution in recent years. Xi Jinping has kind of personally overseen an increase in persecution. Uh, I think of Afghanistan, a lot of Islamic nations. There's always been persecution in those places. But there are some places where it has sort of ebbed and flowed. I think of Cuba. Uh, under Fidel Castro, Cuba, very serious persecutor. Uh, you know, five or ten years ago, there seemed to be a little bit of a softening. And there were actually even some large church activities, public activities that were held in Cuba and were like, wow, you know, we, we never would have imagined this. So, like I say, some places I think you would say it, it, there's always persecution. There's always been persecution in our in my lifetime, in the lifetime of VOM. Um, but other places it does sort of ebb and flow depending on, you know, government restrictions, depending on who is in power, what they think of Christianity. Um, so there are changes in different places. What about closer to home? I'm thinking even the United States, but but Mexico or even some of the southern countries, um, Canada even. You know, what is happening here in our region, in our hemisphere? Well, there are certainly in southern Mexico, there is a lot of persecution. And it actually happens as, as people meet Jesus and as they leave behind their traditional religious path, uh, they are made to feel very unwelcome in their villages. And uh, oftentimes in those villages, they will have festivals to, you know, different deities or different spirits or different saints or whatever. And if you say, you know what? You know, I love the village. I love my neighbors, but I'm not going to be a part of the festival this year. We're we're following Jesus now. 
that will produce some problems for you. And you may lose your farm. You may lose your uh, friendships. You may lose your job. You may lose your house. Your house might be burned down. And so that happens in, in Southern Mexico, right? You know, right next door to us. And uh, the other place in our hemisphere is Colombia. There is a lot of persecution in Colombia and a lot is, is happening from the FARC guerrillas, the, the Marxist guerrillas that control a lot of the rural areas. They control a lot of the drug trade uh, and are making money on the drug trade. They see Christians as a threat. Uh, to their Marxism, a threat to their drug use, a threat to their drug uh, dealing as well. And so churches, pastors are often, uh, the uh, they face heavy pressure, and pastors are often killed, frankly, in, in rural Colombia. Well, let's turn our attention to Africa and that entire continent. You said there's four different countries now that are on your watch list. Tell me which ones they are. Every year we do a prayer map, and we Put on it the the countries where Christians are regularly and routinely facing persecution. So this year there are four new countries, all of them on the continent of Africa. One is Benin, one is Niger, one is the Democratic Republic of Congo, and the other is Mozambique. Um, so kind of spreading really all across the continent of Africa. And what we see in Africa is the 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 rise of radical Islam uh, moving from north to south down the continent. And, and almost from year to year, you can draw the line further and further south of where these radical Islamist groups are active, where they are attacking churches, attacking pastors. Uh, and so that's why those countries, you know, five years ago, I think particularly of Benin, you, you might have seen an attack in Benin, maybe, maybe once a year, maybe once every three or four years. Whereas now it's like, no, that that's part of following Christ in that country. Persecution is going to be a part of your life if you choose to actively follow Jesus in Benin, and, and particularly in the northern part of the country. Uh, and so that's why it's on the prayer map now. And we can only imagine what kind of violence is happening there. I'm wondering, do the Christians rise up and fight back or even instigate? You know, because that happens as well. There are some times where Christians do fight back. I, and I wouldn't say fight. Honestly, I would say defend themselves defend, sure. um, as opposed to fighting back. Typically, though, they are so outnumbered and outgunned that, that it's not an option. It's it's not a fair fight if, if they enter into the fight and say, hey, we're going to try to defend ourselves. We're going to get together and defend ourselves. Usually they are so out outmanned and outgunned uh, that it's not it's not a realistic option to sort of set up a defense force that would defend them. Yeah. I guess I, the, the main reason I was asking those questions is because you think, all right, here's the, the Holocaust with, with Hitler and uh, the Jews just said, okay, we will leave. We'll go to the concentration camps. And I'm kind of feeling like this, this, maybe it's the same type of thing with the, the Christian saying, okay, well, we are outnumbered. We're just going to, we're just going to walk away. We're going to just leave uh, what we know and love. Um, kind of give us a feeling of what is happening with these persecuted Christians, brothers and sisters. Is it because they're just so outnumbered, there's nothing else they can do, and that's that? Well, one example that, that comes immediately to my mind is, is villages in northern Mozambique. There, there's a terrorist organization in northern Mozambique. They have pledged allegiance to ISIS, so that is their inspiration. That's what they want to have is a Islamic caliphate. Uh, they have typically gone into a village. They've said, okay, everyone in the village, we're going to have a village meeting. Everyone come together in the center of the village. And then they go person to person and say, are you a Christian or are you a Muslim? 
Muslims get to walk away. Christians often are killed. Sometimes they flee, run into the bush, and are hiding. Uh, and even sometimes the Muslims will be asked, okay, uh, quote the Shahada, quote a verse from the Quran. We we want to see if you're really a Muslim, if you're really devout like we are. Um, and so that's that has led to some estimates, as many as 800,000 displaced people wow. in northern Mozambique, many of them Christian, some of them Muslim, frankly, that say, hey, I don't I don't want to live in a caliphate. <laughs> I want to live in, in our country. I want to I don't mind if my neighbors are Christians. So many of these displaced are Muslims as well. And one of the things that's happening in those displaced person camps is groups like Voice of the Martyrs, other Christian groups are going in helping with tarps to give them something to sleep under, helping with food, and helping with audio Bibles. One of the things that BOM is distributing is audio Bibles. And those are serving as an incredible ministry tool because you don't have a lot to do. You're away from your village, you're away from your job. And so having an audio Bible gives you a form of entertainment, something to listen to through the day, but it is also a form of outreach. Hey, my Muslim neighbor can come and listen to this as well. Hey, why, why wouldn't I invite them over and have them hear this? One of the great things about that is the Muslims who are looking on say, isn't it interesting that the Christians are coming to help us even though we're Muslims, and the Muslims aren't coming to help us. Like, like our fellow Muslims are ignoring our plight. We haven't heard from them. But here are these Christians who, you know, we were always kind of taught we're supposed to hate them, but here they are, they're helping us. Well, what? why is that? What, what's going on here? And that has been an incredible opportunity to plant gospel seeds and to live out what it means to follow Christ uh, in northern Mozambique, and that happens in other parts of the world as well. That's inspiring to know because you know you we all know the phrase is darkest before the dawn. So that light penetrating the darkness and and hopefully going to emerge something Amen. new and spectacular. Let's uh, look a little bit at Nigeria. I know right now Nigeria is also on that list. It may not be one of the new four countries, but the presidential elections are just coming going to be coming up on February twenty fifth, and that's a big deal in Nigeria right now. It is a huge deal. Uh, it is a huge deal. Uh, one of the one of the dangers, frankly, is that there will be violence ahead of those elections or right around that election time, uh, because there's a lot going on. There's lots of chaos, and that could be a time when Christians face attacks. They face increased violence. Uh, all of the candidates say, "I'm the guy who can." solve this problem. I can defeat Boko Haram. I can defeat the Islamists. I can make the country work together. There is a lot of doubt about, is there somebody who really can do that? Is Nigeria functional as a country of one country, which is split about 50-50 between Christians and Muslims, but most of the Christians are in the South, most of the Muslims are in the North, there are people who want to split the country. They want to have a Muslim country and a Christian country. They want to have a, a caliphate. Boko Haram wants a caliphate in northern Nigeria, an Islamic country in that part of the world. So these elections, as we approach February 25th, we I certainly hope our, our listeners will be praying for Nigeria because it is really a pivotal time there for the country and for this election process. Good advice. Pray, pray, pray. Let's talk about the Boko Haram. Can you tell us what that means? I, I know I looked it up. Western education is forbidden, but give us kind of an understanding of those extremists. Well, it is a group that has pledged allegiance to ISIS, similar to the group in Mozambique. Uh, they want an Islamic state in northern Nigeria, which would be run according to Sharia law. It would be run according to what the Quran says. 
they started out attacking government facilities, police stations, and things that showed government control, but they also have repeatedly targeted churches, Christian schools, and Christian people, uh, especially pastors. And multiple pastors have been kidnapped and killed. Uh, there have been churches that have been burned down. There have been entire Christian villages that have been burned. Uh, I think almost all the world heard about the girls that were kidnapped several years ago, the Chibok girls, uh, at a in a Christian village, mostly Christian girls kidnapped by Boko Haram. That's sort of how they operate: is is terror, uh, violence and kidnapping and attacks. And like I say, oftentimes those are specifically targeting Christians. I receive something in email, and it's usually information from all over the world. And I actually have started tuning out all of the different persecution of everything that's happening in Africa because there's so much. Uh, and I know that's that's wrong, that's bad, we, but it's one of those things where it's like there's so much happening. How do you keep personally working for the Voice of the Martyrs from from just getting, I guess, calloused to all this hatred? You know, I think that's a great question. The the part of it is just seeing that God is at work behind the scenes. Uh, even you know, we talked about northern Mozambique. You have Muslims coming to Christ in displaced person camps in northern Mozambique because this terrorist group attacked their village and they fled and they ended up next door to a Christian in a camp and that's how God reached them. So I, I hearing those kind of stories and knowing that, uh, you know, when persecution comes, we shouldn't be surprised by it. This is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Yeah. He said, the world hates me and why don't you come and follow me? And then the world will hate you too. <laughs> oh yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. Uh, and so, we should not be surprised when persecution happens. But he also said, you know, in this world, you will have trouble, but don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. And he is still overcoming the world. He's still overcoming Boko Haram and the Communist Party and Hindu nationalists in India. And the gospel is advancing, even in some of those places where uh, it's incredibly difficult. And our brothers and sisters are paying an incredible price. And yet God is still at work. Tell us a little bit. We talked about the Boko Haram. Tell us about the Fulanis. They're they're in the same group in, in Nigeria and I, herdsmen, but uh, very Muslim. Tell us what they're what they're up against with yeah. those guys. The Fulani is a tribe of people that is spread not only in northern Nigeria, but they're really spread across that region. They're in Niger. Uh, they're in Burkina Faso. They're in some of the other countries around there as well. Predominantly a Muslim tribe. So typically they would think of themselves as, well, I'm Fulani, so of course I'm a Muslim. Uh, but there are, within that, there are Christians. In fact, we had a Fulani Christian on VOM Radio not very long ago who came to faith. His dad was an Islamic scholar, and he is now a Christian walking with Jesus. And so among the Fulani, though, there are Islamists. There are really what I would really call terrorists. Um, that are coming against Christians. And it is often presented in the media as, well, they're herdsmen and the Christians are farmers, and so it's a, it's a land dispute. Uh, but when you hear about one of these attacks and they go into a village and the homes of the Christians are burned down, uh, but the homes of the Muslims are left alone, it's like, well, that's not about the land. That's not about herdsmen versus farmers. That's about Christian persecution. They are targeting Christians in these attacks. And so uh, that's that's why we talk about them as it relates to Christian persecution. But again, I, I just remind people and I remind myself, 
there are thousands of Fulani Christians, and God is doing an amazing work. I not very long ago we got some pictures of Fulani people being baptized, and mm. you know they had the headscarves on and they were dressed like traditional Fulani garb, but here they are being baptized, and these are new believers in the in our, there are brothers and sisters that are Fulani, and so as we hear about attacks, let's also remember God is at work among the Fulani. Yeah. It's one of those things where you're, you're seeing the two fighting entities and you realize God loves them both. Uh-huh. That's the tough Amen. thing, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. Well, you know, our listeners predominantly here in the West were so removed. Like I said, with my email, I can delete or just not read it. Uh, have you been to some of these regions yourself? I mean, have you actually been able to, to witness what's going on? Yeah, I have been, I think I'm up to like 54 countries now wow. is, is my my tally. So I've had the chance to go and interview and sit down with people and um, just hear their stories, just hear their stories of, of hardship, uh, but also the stories of what God has done and, and how God has worked. And um, so it, it really is a holy privilege to be able to sit down with those people. Leave us with some understanding of what our listeners and even myself, just what would you say to encourage us to to do and and be all about living so far away from, from the actual fire and uh, the front lines? Well, the first thing to do is pray. And, and that's not me talking. That's every persecuted Christian that I've ever sat down with. When I say, okay, I'm going back to America. How can American Christians help you? Yeah. The first thing they say is pray for us. Um, and so commit yourself to pray. Voice of the Martyrs has lots of tools to help with that. We have a global prayer guide. We will send a copy to you for free. We have an app for your phone that pulls up a new prayer request every single day. Lots of different tools to help you pray for persecuted Christians. So I always tell people three steps. Take three steps. Number one is pray. Commit to pray. Number two, then, is educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively, so that it's not just God bless persecuted Christians. It's God bless Pastor Wang Yi in prison in China right now. Sustain him today. Give him enough to eat today. So number one, pray. Number two, educate yourself so that you can pray specifically and so that you can pray more passionately. And then number three is whatever God lays on your heart to do, because as you're praying and as you're learning more, God's going to put his finger on something and say, hey, I want you to do this. And maybe do this is send Bibles to some of these countries. Maybe it's write letters to Pastor Wang Yi in prison in China, and, and we can help you do that. Uh, maybe it's get on an airplane and go to one of these places. Boy, that would be great. Um, but But all of that will come as you're praying and as you're learning more. Then God will say, okay, now this is where I want you to get your hands dirty. This is where I want you to be involved directly. And you are seeing firsthand the Holy Spirit at work around the world. Can you leave Amen. us with? Can you leave us with an understanding of of something or, or a story of something you've witnessed? Let me tell you the story of Sister Tong. Uh, and I met Sister Tong. It's now been almost twenty years ago in China. Uh, we were there, and actually, my wife was with me on that particular trip. And Sister Tong had just been released after six months in prison, and so she was in prison because she hosted a house church at her home. And at that time, they were raiding the meetings. They would take everyone's picture and, and kind of slap your hands. Uh, but the person who was hosting the meeting, they went to jail. And so Sister Tong went to jail for six months, and we were there like three weeks after she got out of jail. I said, Sister Tong, tell me about the prison. And so my translator translated the question, and Sister Tong got this amazing smile on her face and she said something in Chinese, and the translator said, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. 
And I, I just, I, I looked at the translator cause I'm like, there is no way that he understood my question. You know, I'm thinking like, how big were the rats? How hard was the bed? How terrible was the food? Let's, let's paint a picture of how terrible this prison was. And she went on to say, she said, you know, during that six months in prison, Jesus was so close to me and so real to me. He just meant, he was with me every single day that I was in the prison in a different way than how I had experienced him outside of prison. So Jesus was with me. And she said, you know what else? The other ladies in my cell, when I got to the cell, they didn't know Jesus. And now some of them do. Some of them are walking with Jesus now. And I got to be the one to tell them. I got to be the one to tell the gospel to them. So Jesus was with me and Jesus gave me a job to do. Why wouldn't that be a wonderful time? (laughs) And when I tell the story, I always have to ask the question, okay, if, if a Chinese prison can be a wonderful time, because Jesus is with you and he gives you a job to do, what is there in my life? What is there in your life that could be a wonderful time if we would sort of borrow Sister Tong's classes and try to look at it through through her eyes and say, okay, is Jesus here? Well, of course he's here. Does he have a job for me to do here? So, okay, that's a wonderful time. And so that's the story that I always tell, because I think we picture persecuted Christians as these really depressed uh, downtrodden, miserable people who are just hanging on until Jesus comes back. Uh, and for her to say, no, that was a wonderful time when I was in prison, uh, literally blew my mind and and changed the way I think about suffering and about persecution. She went into a place of worship. Amen. <laughs> well, Tom Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs, thanks so much for being with us today on His People. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs. Go to persecution.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Lisa Anderson helping single adults put Valentine's Day into perspective. Are we willing to live open-handedly in this season if we have a short season of singleness or a longer one? And trust that ultimately God has our story. And so in the meantime, one of the things I often like to say is even though all of us aren't called to marriage, we are all called to relationship. And so what does it look like for us to look around us and love the people who are in our sphere and make them feel seen and known and ultimately introduce them to the Lord himself who can love them perfectly? That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.